As we come to God's word this morning, let us pray. Father God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, there's so many voices around us, so many things that can distract us. Lord, in these moments, help us to listen to your word. May your Holy Spirit speak powerfully through your word today to all of us. And would you please strengthen us by your spirit to live for you and to speak your words of truth. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is your Son and our Lord. Amen. Would you please be seated? Let me introduce you to Bill. Now, just to make it really clear, Bill is not a real person. So don't speak to me afterwards and ask how Bill is, okay? Bill is not a real person, okay? Bill, you know him in your church family. You see him often at tea and coffee afterwards, and you want to pray for him, because that's what we do in a church family. So how do we pray for Bill? Well, you know he's got a dodgy leg, and you want to pray for him. You want to pray for medical care for Bill. What else do you want to pray for? His dog passed away. He lives by himself, and therefore it's been a real difficulty for him. He's grieving. You know what it's like. You're so close to animals. He is grieving because his dog has died. So we're going to pray for Bill. What else? He hasn't seen some of his family for quite a long time, and therefore we're praying for him to get back in contact with his family. That's what you want to pray for Bill. So dodgy leg. He's grieving because he's got no dog. And you want to pray he sees his family. We'll see Bill again. But here's Martha. Martha has recently moved into the area. She's trying to hold down two jobs, and it's not easy. Again, you see her as part of her church family, and you want to pray for her. You want to lift her before God and bring some of her needs before God. So you pray for really struggling with money issues. In one of her jobs, her boss is very difficult. He treats her not terribly well, And it has a real toll upon her. So you want to pray for her in a difficult job situation and for her boss. You also want to pray for new friends. It's difficult moving to a new place. Even in a new church family, it can be difficult to make those new relationships and those new friendships. So that's how we're praying for Martha and for Bill today. Now keep those two people in your mind and we're going to come back to them in a few moments' time. St. Augustine once said, we do not pray for the work, prayer is the work. And today we're thinking about how the Apostle Paul prayed for the churches he planted. We're going to learn from his priorities, his attitudes, his way of looking at the world and the Christian life. And we pray that as we come to school with Paul, we will learn in prayer and we will learn how to pray, perhaps in a different way for people who are around us. We are not naturally born prayers. We need to understand what it is to pray. Do you remember the disciples went to Jesus? Lord, how should we pray? And he gave them the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to pray today that we'll be humble enough to say, Lord, I don't always know how to pray. Would you teach us through your apostle how to pray? The first thing we're going to think about is thankfulness. Does that little boy in the picture look thankful? As you can see, just the shadow of a huge big turkey behind him. (laughs) He's thankful. 
That's the first thing we see, that Paul starts his prayer with thanksgiving. So if you don't have your Bibles open, it would be really helpful to turn again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you do have one of the Red Pew Bibles at the end of the pew, it's page 203 in the New Testament section. So we're going to look at this in a little bit of detail. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, page 203. He begins his prayer for the Thessalonians with thanksgiving. His heart is full of gratitude and reminds us that all that we have is from God. It is by his grace and goodness that we have all these good things we enjoy. So we start our priorities, get them right, and point us in the right direction. Starting with thanksgiving is always a good thing. And Paul is just overwhelmed. He sees the great things. He sees the works of God in the Thessalonians, and he wants to give thanks. Look at verse 3. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. So, we have faith. What's he thankful for? He's thankful for the faith of these believers. Now, sometimes we think that faith is a very static thing. You either have faith or you don't. You are a person of faith. She has faith, etc. I think Paul wants to encourage us that faith is a changing, dynamic thing. It's about having a relationship with God. Your faith can grow. It can develop. It can mature. Jesus often uses metaphors from the countryside about seeds growing. You know, it's very easy to rest on our laurels, to have a Sunday school faith, to have a youth group faith, that the faith I had in my child or as a teenager, that will do me for the rest of my life. But Paul's saying, no. I want you to grow in your faith and to become more and more mature in Jesus. Let's be honest with ourselves. Can we say honestly that we've grown in our faith in the past five, ten years? Through fellowship, through reading, through worship, can we say we trust God more and more? Are we growing in our faith? See, Paul's not interested in past glories. He's constantly looking ahead to the future. And he wants them to push on in their faith, to aim higher, to trust God more and more. So I wonder if we can say that. Are we growing in faith, trusting God for our relationships, our marriage, our finances, our ambitions, our work life? Are we growing in faith? As well as faith, we have love. Paul sees that the Thessalonians' love for one another is increasing. And love must be one of the key characteristics of every Christian believer. The New Testament says it makes no sense if you say you love God and you don't love other people. That cannot be. It's never an optional extra for the Christian. Do you remember in John chapter 13, that great scene in the upper room, Jesus takes off his outer garments, he kneels down, and he washes the feet of every one of his disciples, including Judas. He washes the feet of his disciples, and then he looks them in the eye and says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I love you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. 
And Paul is always picking up on this. Do we love one another? Now, I'm not saying you look around at the other church people and you have this really gooey, sentimental feeling of love for one another. You might have that, and that's great, but I think he's talking about love in a very practical way. Will you share your resources? Will you care for one another? Will you practically show your love for one another? And it will actually be a testimony to others around us. See how these Christians love one another. That's what the early church said. See how they love one another. Now, sometimes our church family can be very diverse. If you look around us, we're all very different. We're different shapes and sizes, different backgrounds, different outlooks, different interests. What holds us together in the church is that we love the Lord Jesus and we want to follow him. It's quite easy to love people who are very similar to us, but it's much, much harder to love people who are very diverse. And that's why we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, his love for us, and we must love one another. So we have faith, we have love, and we have steadfastness. In other words, endurance, perseverance. These believers in Thessalonica, they know what it was like to be persecuted for their faith. They understand what it's like to put away the pagan gods around us and to follow the one true living God. And they really find it hard. Not worshipping the local deity was a sign of disloyalty, rebellion, of not caring about family, of not valuing our society. And so they stood against that and said, we will not worship other gods. We will not say the emperor is Lord. We will only follow Christ. And therefore their faith, their trust in God, meant that they would count the cost and they would endure. Sometimes we might doubt like Thomas. Sometimes we might stumble and fall like Peter. But ultimately, will we have the final perseverance to run the race right to the end? And then we'll receive our reward, good and faithful servant. So these are the things that Paul is thanking God for. The signs of grace in their lives for faith and love and steadfastness. We know often we give thanks to God for things which are related to our own well-being and comfort. Have you ever noticed that? Often we give thanks to God for the things that really matter to us. Lord, I thank you that I found that car parking space in Gloucester City Centre. I'm really grateful. Lord, thank you for that lovely meal I really enjoyed. Thank you for that lovely summer holiday which was great. Do we only thank God for the things that really matter to us? Or do we thank God for things in other people? Because here's the balance that Paul is trying to encourage us. You see, on the one side, it's not about really congratulating people and trying to puff them up so they're full of pride. That's not what Paul's doing. But he's also not sort of keeping quiet and discouraging. Do you know, I'm not convinced British people are very good at saying thank you and encouraging one another. Often we say nothing because it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, to say that was a really good talk. Or thank you so much for helping in that way. Thank you for being a great treasurer. Thank you for loving that tea and coffee. Thank you for singing so well. I'm not convinced we're very good at encouraging and saying thank you to people. But Paul wants us to get a balance right. We're not puffing people up and making them proud. We're not remaining silent. We're affirming them and saying thank you to God for the great things in their life. I wonder if we can do that in our church family. Can we really affirm one another? 
Can we say thank you for the good things that are going on in your life? Can we see the signs of grace in one another? So we see thanksgiving in Paul's prayer. He says thank you for the faith, the love, the endurance, the steadfastness. But then we also need to think about the sense of justice. Paul is thanking God that these people are enduring. They're persevering under real trial. But as always, Paul's vision is on the future. It's not just about the here and now, it's towards the future. And one day, God's people will be vindicated. There will come a time of justice when every truth is uncovered and every wrong is righted. When will that be? When will justice come? We were singing in one of our songs about justice flowing like a river. When will that be? We'll look down in verse 6 of our reading. For it is indeed just of God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to the afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Folks, these are really challenging and sobering words. But what we can't do is just cherry-pick our way through the words of Jesus. Cherry-pick our way through the New Testament. Well, we like that, but we don't like that. Even in our gospel reading, Jesus talks about one day, there will come a time of judgment. Jesus says there will come a time when he comes like that son of man in great glory and power and there will be a separation sheep from goats the believer from the unbeliever the new testament knows nothing about universalism that says that everyone one day will go to heaven that's not what the bible teaches it's a really sobering reality that one day some people will be lost and some people will be put away from the presence of god You see, God is a God of blazing holiness and perfection. We sang in our first hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God cannot turn a blind eye to injustice and suffering and evil. But we will not always in this life see a sense of justice and everything being put right. I'm sure many of you remember the terrible regime of Pol Pot in Cambodia. In the 1970s, we had the genocide of the so-called killing fields of Cambodia. His extremist communist regime, they wanted to turn back history to year zero. He got rid of any opposition or enemies, and then he went for the scientists, the academics, the intellectuals. The rest of the population were set to work in the fields, enduring terrible hardship. It's reckoned that in that period in the 1970s, nearly 2 million people died, a quarter of the population of Cambodia. But did you realize that Pol Pot and his senior leaders were never really called to account? They never went to a war crimes trial or an international court. They never had to answer for the blood on their hands. And Pol Pot died peacefully in his bed in 1998, aged 72. And we cry out, why, Lord? Why such injustice? Why does such horror and evil happen in our world time and time again? Lord, do something. 
This is wrong. But God will act. Judgment will come. And that future certainty of Jesus coming as judge is a good thing. For it puts our present suffering and trials into some sort of eternal context. Because we trust in Jesus, who is loving and kind and just. And don't we want a judge like that? There'll be no corruption, no bribery, no miscarriages of justice. This will be perfect, pure justice. And Paul prays for the endurance and steadfastness of these Christians. And he encouraged them by teaching about the future. Don't lose heart, Paul is saying. Trust in God. Trust that he is righteous and true. And one day justice will be done. Hang in there. So if Paul's prayer is starting off with thanksgiving, if he thinks about justice that will come, we also need to think about glory. Where on earth do we see glory? Look down at verse 11 of our reading. Verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, asking that our God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. So the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays that we won't just be people of good intentions, but that God would fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. Does anyone have any New Year's intentions? Anyone make New Year's resolutions? They last till what? 11th or 12th of January, maybe? Isn't that why gym membership is always so much higher in January? By the time it gets to November, December, it's very quiet. (laughs) We're all full of good intentions. But Paul prays that every good resolve and every work of faith, it would happen. Very naturally, people of faith produce works of faith. We can see works of faith in an individual's life, or maybe in a wider community or national life. We want to see good works inspired by our Christian faith. Why? So that the name of Jesus would be glorified. Here's a picture of some uh, footballers from Ecuador. They scored a goal in a World Cup and they immediately gathered together as a team, fell on their knees, pointed towards God and prayed. And quite extraordinary, a lot of the football commentators at the time were a bit bemused. They didn't understand their celebration. And somebody had to explain to them they're actually praying and saying thank you to God that they could glorify him through their sport. Now, I'm not saying you need to be a footballer from Ecuador, but I am saying, how do we glorify God? In the day-to-day of our lives, through our language, through our relationships, how do we glorify God? By how we treat other people, by how we spend our money, how do we glorify God? There's a very old-fashioned Westminster Catechism that has a question and answer about the Christian faith. Question one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Isn't that great? What's our main purpose as Christian men and women? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
Our main purpose is not to eat, drink, and be merry, or even just to have a nice, comfortable life. Our chief goal is glorifying God through the Lord Jesus and to enjoy him forever. And that might be costly, it might be hard, but that is what we're called to. So as we finish, let's go back to Bill. Do you remember Bill? Well, what's Paul teaching us? Well, it's right to pray for physical needs of people, isn't it? So let's keep on praying for his dodgy leg, that he would get healing, he would see a good doctor. But maybe we also need to pray in a more spiritual sense for Bill as a Christian, that he would actually grow in his faith. And let's pray for Bill spiritually, that he would actually endure. He would be a man of steadfastness, of perseverance, and he would keep on following Jesus right to the end of his life. So perhaps Paul's teaching us, go a bit deeper. Think about the spiritual life of people around us, people we will meet today in our church. And for Martha, how can we pray for her? Let's keep on praying that she would have new friends as she settles into a new job, a new situation, and she would have people to encourage her in her faith. But let's also pray that she would have that sense that she's glorifying God by what she's doing. And let's also pray that she would love others, that she would be greatly used, practically caring for one another. You see, I think Paul's encouraged us, let's go deeper. Let's pray more profoundly, more earnestly for one another. Not just the things on the surface, not just the physical needs, but as that person before God. I wonder if we can do that in our lives. And over the next few months, we'll be looking at other prayers of the Apostle Paul, and I pray it would help us to revolutionize our prayer lives and to bring ourselves and one another before God. And I pray that God would bless us as we look at his word. Shall we pray together? Lord God, help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who love one another. Help us to be steadfast. Lord, I thank you for these things that we learn from the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, help us to have in our mind that this world is not all there is. But your Son, the Lord Jesus, will come again with great power and glory. And he will come to be our judge. Lord, we pray for that day when justice will flow like a river and righteousness like an ever-ending stream. Lord, we pray for the Lord Jesus to come again, that all those evils will be put right, that your people will be vindicated and your kingdom would come forever. And Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. Help us as we pray for one another. Help us to encourage one another in our faith. Help us to see the signs of grace in one another and to build each other up. And I just thank you for this church family. I thank you for calling us into fellowship with one another. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and your Son. Amen.